Amen. Good morning, Living Stones. Good morning, Living Stones. Whoa, wow. <laughs> glad to see you all here uh, this morning, and uh, I'm glad to uh, be able to fill in uh, while uh, Pat and Angela and their family are taking a, a much-needed uh, much break, uh, much-needed rest. I... Um, I'm going to continue in our sermon series in Galatians. Uh, we're going to, uh, the, the sermon series entitled Be Free, and uh, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3. I know we just prayed, but I'd like to, uh, I want to pause and just pray over this, uh, these moments right now. Can we do that? Father, thank you for um, meeting us here in this place. Thank you, Father, for uh, reassuring us of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Help us to understand what that means. Uh, give us a glimpse of what that looks like in the midst of uh, a world that uh, could be full of struggle, uh, possibly even oppression, power. Uh, help us to understand and, and even challenge us, Father, even this morning um, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, I just, uh, just want to pray, Father, that uh, like a friend of mine has prayed recently, that today we might see your face. Might see your face. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let me read this first five verses. Are you ready for this? You foolish Galatians. Oh, I better read it from here. I was told earlier that the text that I'm reading from is just a little off, so I'm going to read it from there. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? I guess we have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again, I ask. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Paul is laying down a smackdown against the Galatian people. He is not happy in this moment. And what a way to begin a sermon. I mean, Pat, why did you leave when I, you know, you gave me the one that was just like, I'm just going to lay it all out to tell you, you foolish people, you foolish people. <laughs> That's basically what Paul wants them to understand. Why are you continuing to live in this way of life? Why are you so foolish? Because Paul wants to speak about freedom. We just got done singing songs, beautiful songs about God's amazing grace and how we live in this freedom. But I think we might understand the struggle that the Galatian people might be going through if we understand a couple problems. First of all, it's one that I just want to reemphasize that Pat talked about the last couple weeks. And that is these Galatian people who are Gentile believers, 
They are following Jesus Christ, but they have not become Jewish, which was not a requirement. And yet they are being tempted by the Judaizers, these Jewish people that live among them, that they must follow these works of the law. They must follow these things that are laid down. They must, they must become Jewish first and then become Christians. And these Gentiles are starting to begin to fall into that trap, fall into that way of thinking. But the second thing that might hit a little bit closer to home for us is to understand the other pressure, maybe even the greater pressure that the Galatian people are, are dealing with. And that is one uh, that is called the Jewish exception. Does anybody know what the Jewish exception is? I'll tell you. Herod the Great, uh, uh, king uh, during the time of Jesus, okay? The, the Herod that, that built the existing temple made a compromise, if you will, to Rome and to the emperor. You see, in these days, you had to worship the emperor. You had to worship Caesar. And one of the ways that you worshiped Caesar was by making a sacrifice to him. Because Caesar is supposed to be like God here on earth. And so you had to make a sacrifice to Caesar. Well, the Jews were like, no, we can't do that. We have a temple over here that we make sacrifices to our God. So Herod decided to make a compromise. How about if we, once a year, make a sacrifice for you to our God? And I don't know if Caesar wasn't, you know, comprehending exactly what Herod was trying to do. And, of course, Herod was kind of making a compromise. But he said, you know what? I'll agree to that. I will allow you to make a sacrifice for me instead of to me. And that will exempt you as a people from having to worship me, having to worship the Caesar, okay? And if you didn't worship Caesar, this was a big deal because now the Jews were exempt from having to worship Caesar, which meant they were give, granted protection from all of the punishment that could incur if they did not do it. And in, the, in these days, if you didn't worship Caesar, you were subject to punishment even up to death as a, re, as, as a relationship to that. Now, think about this pressure. Think about this problem that any Gentile who follows Jesus Christ, and in particular, what Paul is writing about here in Galatians, he's saying, you foolish people. You foolish people. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, but I'm sure they're like just taken aback. Paul, do you understand the problem? Do you understand what we're dealing with? Do you understand the weight that we are carrying? But Paul is saying, you're robbing the gospel by not walking through the struggle that you need to walk through. By enduring this pain, you are missing out on the opportunity to be an example of what it is like to suffer in the world. And you're robbing the gospel of its power. Don't be so foolish. Don't be so foolish. Abraham then Paul will keep going on as the example. He said, I want to show you. I'm going to give you a picture of somebody so that maybe you can understand. So maybe you can understand. Let's go ahead and hit the next slide to the next scripture. So also Abraham <clears throat> believed God, and it was credited to him 
as righteousness. This will be a very important verse to remember. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. First, this gospel. Pat talked about how this church, this group of Christians that were living in Galatia at this time, they had a gospel message to present. This is God's story. And God's story is about faithfulness. Faithfulness. Abraham is justified by faith. According to this text, he is justified. It, is, it says it is credited to him as righteousness. He is justified by faith. Genesis 15 will tell us that. But two chapters later in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 17, it's when Abraham would receive the covenant from God. God would say, circumcise yourself. Become a part of this covenant. I will make a promise to you. Understand that Abraham was credited his righteousness not because he had joined a religion, not because he had made a covenant with God, but was, it was because of his actions. It was because of who he is. And he is justified before he has one rule to follow. Paul makes the case that the gospel was announced to Abraham himself. And so I just want to review a little bit from Genesis chapter 12. You're probably very familiar with this verse. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And pause right there. I like that so far, right? Like if, if, if God were to say something to you, if I think all of us here this morning would be like, I definitely want a blessing from God, right? I want a blessing from God. And I hope that by being a part of this body and being a part of this, this family this morning that you recognize the blessing that God is this morning. And then it says, and you will be a blessing. And then, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, for Abraham, it wasn't just about receiving something. But there's a reason that you receive this blessing, and it is so that other people, as they see you walk out your faith, as they see you live your life, whether it is struggle or whether it is peace, whether it is hardship or whether it is I'm doing really good, I'm, I'm celebrating, whatever it might be, the world will know. The world will be blessed. That's the gospel message that Paul is talking about here. So this is where it starts. God calls Abram and his family to join him in his plan to bless the people of humanity through this man that he has chosen to build a nation of people. And the big question that we have to ask here is this. What is about this man that the New Testament calls righteous? God sees something in this man and his family that is different, that is peculiar, that is unique, that is special. Let's review a little bit. In Genesis chapter 12, we have this introduction of this man, Abram. 
And God calls him to leave his home and to start traveling and to go. Go where, you, where I tell you to go. I'm not going to show you exactly where to go, but go and I'll be with you. I'll, make, I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing. What was the condition of the world before Abram arrives on the scene? When you look back in the 10 and 11, you will see that the people were all gathered in one community. They were gathered in Babel. And what does the text say about these people? Let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves. This is the words that are coming from their lips. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build ourselves up so that, so that everybody will look at us and they'll say, oh, how great you are, how wonderful you are. And then it says about the people, let us build a city and not be scattered over the face of the earth. So they're going to build this big metropolis. And the world is huge at this time, but they're staying in one location they're not spreading out. They're not spreading the good, the good news about God and that he loves us. God sees what these people are doing, and he's not pleased. He is not pleased one bit because they are, not doing, the they are doing the complete opposite of what he desires for his creation to do. And so what does he do? He scatters them and gives them different languages in different speech so they don't understand each other. And they spread out. He forces them to do this. But instead, God sees Abram doing something completely different, completely radical, and here's the thing, completely faithful. Completely faithful. Ask me, how does how he do this? What is, something, what is it that is peculiar? What is it that is different what is it that is special what it is is it it is faithful about abram than other people on the earth well first of all we're told that abram marries sarai you know anything about sarai she is a barren woman she is not able to have children and the text tells us that abram knows this and he chooses abram anyway i mean he chooses sarai anyway now, that might not shock you, but in a patriarchal society, what is the one thing that every man wants? He wants a son, and actually, he wants a bunch of them. <laughs> and if he marries a barren woman, there's not going to be any son. There's not going to be any wealth. There's the, the, he's married a barren wife, and his family line will stop. Listen. He is more concerned, Abram is more concerned about doing something that brings dignity, hope, provision, and protection at the expense of his own legacy. That's faithfulness. That's what the world needs to see. And God sees this in Abraham. But God chose Abram not just for that, but because instead of building a tower for himself, like the people of Babel did, to make so that everybody can see what I did, he builds an altar to God. He honors God with his life. That's faithfulness. That's what God sees in Abram. And the third thing that Abram does, he doesn't settle. Remember, God had to take the people of Babel and scatter them so that they could go and take his creation into the world. But for Abram, he lived in a tent. I'm actually getting ready this afternoon. I'm taking a bunch of my students, and we're going to Potato Creek for a couple nights. We're going to li Katie and I haven't slept in a tent in years. <laughs> but we're going to live in a tent. 
And then after two days, we're going to be glad that we can go to our home and sleep in our bed. But see, Abram and Sarai, in their faithfulness, they lived in a tent. Now, what do you know about a tent? Well, I can't, I can't pick up my house and move. But a tent, I can wrap it up and move to the next place. What Abram was demonstrating was that I will go where you want me to go. And I will do what you want me to do. That's faithfulness. Living your life in such a way that you're not holding so tight to what you have. He will influence the nations around him. And he, be, he welcomes others into his place with hospitality and generosity. Faith is the marker of being a child of God and in the family of Abraham, for Abraham. It's beyond being justified for his works. It is family membership. I want to pause right here because <laughs> I actually had a little illustration at the beginning that I completely forgot to do, but this is actually a good spot to remember this. I have a couple images in my mind as I'm thinking about living faithful, as I think about God's story. And one of them is this. When I was a student minister I said, last service I said like 15 years ago, I think it was close to 20 years ago when Katie and I were in Buchanan, Michigan. Our kids were younger, and uh, we, we took our students the, in that ministry to Detroit three years in a row to do a vacation Bible school in the inner city uh, with the kids. We would gather at a park, and the kids would come, and they would hear the music, and they would just kind of gather there. One of the things we did, the, I think it was the first year we were there, we took a tour of all of the old church buildings in downtown Detroit. Many of them had, were just more like museums. There were no congregations worshiping there because of, of all people had left the city. But you could go and see these big edifices, big, beautiful church buildings. And in one of the church buildings, I remember I walked into it, and instead of like chairs or pews like we're used to, they, they have these boxes I felt like I was at a, uh, uh, a baseball game, had my box seats for a baseball game, you know. And, and at the end of each of these boxes was a gate, and at the end of the gate was either a place for a name placard or a number. See, back in the day, if you gave enough offering, you could get the better seats. You could get your own box seat for your family and watch the game, right? You could sit there, and, and some of them had cushions in them, and they were special. That was, that's an image that I have in my mind. You paid for your seat. So a few years later, some of these same students, I uh, took them, uh, had an opportunity to go to Haiti three times. We took mission trip to Haiti. Haiti is probably the only fourth world, world country in the world. And what I mean by that is not only are they poor, but they rely completely on the United States and other countries for their economy. Okay? And uh, we went, uh, the, three, the four trips that we took were up to Seguin. It's up on the, one of the mountains in, on, the, on the island of Hispaniola. And we went up into the mountain, and it was very primitive. I'm not, I'm not kidding, no electricity, uh, nothing like that. Uh, and uh, we had electricity because we had a generator uh, that we would start up to power whatever we needed. Um, uh, but while we were there, we built a church. Uh, over the years, we built a church. We built a medical clinic. We built a school. 
And uh, I remember one of my favorite, favorite times was to be able to worship with these people. I didn't understand Haitian Creole. I was learning a little bit. The children would come out and, and teach Haitian Creole, and then when we tried to speak it, they would just laugh at us because we didn't get the dialect right. You, you meant to say good morning, but what you really meant to say was something else. And or what we really sounded like you said is this. And uh, so anyway, we, but I love going to church because they didn't like, it didn't start at a certain time and it didn't end at a certain time because they didn't have a clock. So people would wake up when they woke up, usually to the crows of the roosters around them, and they would walk to church very casually, and the music would start playing, uh, mostly just drums and vocals, and uh, you'd walk in, and whenever you were ready, you would come to church and start singing. It was beautiful, and I loved, one of the things I loved about that was even though they were singing Haitian Creole, they were singing old hymns that I remembered, so I'd start singing them in English, and they would be singing in Haitian Creole, and we had a good time. I brought this chair, though, from home, and, uh, and actually there were chairs similar to this, but actually even more primitive. They were handmade, and I loved watching the little children sit in the chair. Like, one would sit here, and then another person would sit right here, and then they would, another one would sit right here, and they would, they would hold on to each other so that they didn't fall off the seat. They all had a seat. How many Haitians could you get on a chair? That was probably the question. <laughs> Very unlike that box seat that you paid for, they were just grateful to have a place to be, and they were part of this beautiful family. That, that's, that's a beautiful image that I want us to hold on to as we continue to go through this message. Please remember, please remember that. God's story is about faithfulness. God's story is about promise. <clears throat> Look at uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the words of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Oof. That's another harsh statement that Paul makes. Remember, he starts it off by saying, you foolish Galatians, but then he says, if you don't follow the law, you're under, the, under curse. And the image that, that Paul is he's pointing back to Deuteronomy with, that talks about how when the, the children of Israel would enter into the promised land, they had the law. Moses had brought the law down from the mountain. And when they came into the, uh, the promised land, they would read. They would read this law, and they would pronounce blessings on you. If you followed the law, if you followed the rules, if you behaved yourself, blessings. But if you don't, curses. And that's what Paul is referring to here, okay? I, uh, we had our last Bible study of the season back at the end of April, uh, Monday night dinner and discussion, and one of my students, uh, we were talking about holiness, actually, and one of my students I met was talking about how can you really be holy and really just trying to understand what that all meant. And it was a really good question. It actually wasn't where I was wanting to go that evening, but we we're like, okay, we're going to go down that path. And uh, because what his thought was is that if I keep this rule and I'm doing really good, I still got a bunch of other ones. I got this one next, and then I got this one. And in his mind, and I think if we were honest, all of our minds, if we think about it, like I'm doing good at this one area, God, but the rest of them, I'm screwing it up, and how can I keep up? And actually, that's what Paul is referring to here, basically. He's saying, 
to try to keep up with all of this rule keeping is like a curse. It's a heavy weight that you have to carry. It's a burden. And God didn't make it, intend for it to be like that. Let's finish up that and go to the next uh, passage there. Uh, as he continues on with this thought, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That word redeemed. He rescued us. Like all that burden and stuff that you carry, he took it off of our shoulders and he became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us, rescued us, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Um, I love what he does there because not only does he talk about Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, but he attaches it to Abraham and how the blessing of Abraham was to bless all nations. And so the gospel is being, was announced to Abraham and fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he died on the cross so that all people, it's specifically in there, to come to the Gentiles. You foolish Galatians, <laughs> don't try to follow all of that. Not that being Jewish is bad, but that's not the thing that should hold you. <laughs> the thing that holds you, the thing that you hope in, the promise that you are holding on to, is that all nations, all peoples, are to receive this gift, are to receive this blessing. God's story is about promise. For Paul, the story of God has always been about promise, not the law. It's about faith. It's about belief. It's about trust. It's not about being Jewish. It's not about being Christian. It's not about being Catholic. It's about it's not about being from a certain country or a certain place or a certain strata of, of economic position, whatever it might be. It's not about that. It's about faith. It's about trusting God in his story, and it is so good. It's about believing the promises of God, not about obeying the rules. Galatians chapter 3, 23 through 25, we're going to jump ahead in the text. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until that faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian. Now, I know, I'm going to stop there, leave the slide up there, because we're asking, like, what happens to all those commandments, Right? Are they still, aren't they still good for us? Shouldn't we follow them? And absolutely. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to throw out thou shalt not murder or commit adultery or lie or cheat. All of these things. It's a guardian. I'll explain it here in a minute. Until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we no longer are under a guardian I want to give you a picture of what maybe this looks like. A couple ideas, actually. Um, 
You remember receiving from your grandparents or your an aunt and uncle or an uncle that didn't wasn't able to come to your birthday or Christmas celebration? You got usually like a card in the mail, and you open it up, and in the card is what? I know it's like, and I when I was a kid, I would like open up that card, and I'm like, you know, it's just like, what's in there? What's in there? But when you're young, what do your parents usually say when you open up that card? Well, let me hold that for safekeeping. <laughs> and of course, you're like, no, because I don't trust that you're going to give that back. I actually found out, and I love that my Chinese students are here today, but I found out during Chinese New Year, you do something very similar in your family, in your families, because they would have like little red envelopes, and they would put money or something in there, and then after they give it to you, they, you, they take it back. <laughs> they take it back, because I'm going to protect it for you. I promise I'll give it back. I promise I'll give it back. And that's really kind of the picture that, that Paul is painting here, that the law was meant to be a guardian, to protect us for the inheritance that God had planned for us in Jesus Christ. But now that Jesus is here, the inheritance is set, set loose, and we're all apart. All that, all that gift that he has been holding, we're now mature enough, and so, okay, here you go. <laughs> He's giving it out. He's giving it out. Oh, that's right. That's what I wanted to say. I couldn't remember. He's making it rain. He promised, and he's giving it out. That's right. Last. Let's go to the last text here. So in Christ Jesus. Oh, I love this. You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I just want to pause here. Go back to that next last slide. I just want to pause here and give you, this is the picture of baptism. This is what happens. It's not just getting wet. It's not just, and it's not about being a part of a certain community of people. It's about being a part of a greater community of people. It's about, it's about clothing yourselves with Jesus Christ. All of him. So that when I, when God looks at me, he sees his son. He sees his daughter. And that's what I want. I want to be a part of this family. And that's what baptism does. Next one. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you see what's happening here? Paul is saying, even if you don't have to become a Jew to be part of Abraham's family. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is have faith. All you have to do is allow Jesus Christ to take, take that burden off your shoulders. And now you are part because God's story is the great equalizer. See, we, we, live, we live in a world that is so full of posturing and privilege. And at the expense of those who are, who are privileged, there's oppression. And stratus, status, rather. Paul, he, he's finishing this chapter as strong as he did at the beginning. He is making a stone-cold statement here. His Jewish hearers, 
the, his Jewish hearers here that are God's chosen people would have shivered at the thought. And they would have said, but Paul, there is a difference. Paul's like, no. No, that wasn't the intention. Abraham taught us that. God told Abraham, it's not just for you. It's for all people. And if you find yourself in a position of privilege or you find yourself in a position of oppression, God's story levels this field. Now, think about this. I mean, this is what they're struggling with, and we look at that and we say amen. But put it in light of the things that we hold to greater honor than others. How do you really feel about this text when it comes to those debatable matters today? And do you find yourself, I do, do you find yourself making exceptions to this rule? This is the challenge. You see, in our country, religious liberty is enshrined in the United States Constitution, something that we can be very thankful for. Yet the history that got us as a people to this place has been lost to us as we posture ourselves in a position of privilege and superiority in this world. Today, conflicts most often arise from Christian nationalism, the anti-democratic notion that America is a nation by and for Christians alone. And people look at our world at our, at our country, from other countries, and at our Christian nationalism from other people who are oppressed and can't get in. They don't, they don't have a place to sit. That's not the gospel. That's not the good story that I was told about. And it also leads to discrimination, at times violence, against religious minorities and the non-religious. Christian nationalism is also a contributing ideology in the Christian's rights, Christian rights misuse of religious liberty as a rationale for circumventing laws and regulations aimed at protecting all people, such as non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people, women, and religious minorities. And if you are challenged by this, like I am challenged by this, Please hear the words of Paul here again. Neither Jew, the person who has the works of the law and follows all the rules. I, I think I'm there sometimes. Like, I followed the rules. Why should I? Nor the Greek on the outside looking in because they don't have this. Guess what? They're welcome too. Neither slave the person who works as your servant because they do not have means or a voice for themselves. We don't have, thank goodness we don't have slavery like we had 150 years ago in this country, but we do live, we have people that live in servitude to those who are free. The person who does not have to depend on anyone else because they are privileged. Neither male who has a voice, a position, and vote, and it's still prevalent in our world today, nor a female who is still second in line and not given equal opportunity or pay or, or, or chance. In this family, 
in God's family, there is neither American, Chinese, Ukrainian, Russian, black, white, Native American, foreign-born, or refugee. There is neither corporate executive, big three, big four, medical doctor, hospice care worker, teacher, professor, unemployed, or homeless. There is neither male or female. Gender lines are blurred so as not to exclude any person from being welcomed to the table. And guess where this table is? It's right here. And Jesus sits at the head of this table. And he says, bring them all. Bring them all. Let's go to the last. Oh, I'm sorry. I added this so it's not in the slides. <laughs> uh, as I thought about it this morning, I'm like, I can't stop here because there's something that Paul wants to say here at the end. He wants to sum it up. Verses 1 through 7. What I am saying, four, chapter 4. So I'm probably stepping on Pat's message next week. He's supposed to be doing four. Uh, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no... He is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we, when we were children, we were, slaved, uh, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons and daughters. Because you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. I love that passage because I, I, I've looked at that passage by itself at times because I think, Daddy, you know, Daddy, I love that, you know. I, I remember my daddy uh, when I was little and I would, uh, I would uh, you know, I would come and sit on his lap and, uh, and tell me a story. And he loved to read stories and tell stories. And... Um, and my children uh, did the same for me, with me. They would sit on my lap, and I would tell them stories. I even tell stories to my students today. If you're, um, this uh, past April, we had a story every week that we told. <laughs> and I hope one day to have grandbabies so I can be Papa Lowell and Katie, Mama Katie. We actually have some surrogate ones that we kind of welcome into our home over the years you know you get some of those that from people that you that have god brings into your life uh, that that idea of daddy but it's not just that emotional thing about me coming to god but it is this idea that everybody can call god daddy everybody can come up to the chair and climb up into papa's chair and sit on his lap. And he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Wow. So no matter what the world is telling you, no matter what kind of regulations or, or rules that somebody might want to kind of impress upon you, don't allow that. 
don't allow that to keep you from coming before your papa because he, he doesn't hold those kind of regulations over you. In fact, he says, come sit with me and I'll make it right. And the thing is, I mean, I don't, I, I'm telling you more than I told last service. I don't, it's, it's not, uh, my, my things, my excuses, I might be right. My values and convictions, I might be spot on. And I think God might be looking at me and say, yeah, doing a good job there. But who are you excluding from the table? Because when you exclude people from the table, they don't get to come sit on my lap so I can tell them the truth. It's not our job to hold people away. It's our job to welcome people too so that Jesus can do it. And he knows better than I do. 100%, 1,000% better. And so that's what this is about. And so Paul is telling the Galatians, don't be foolish. Don't, don't, don't allow the gospel to be robbed, the good story to be robbed just walk by faith. Walk by faith. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for today. <clears throat> thank you, Father, for the good news, the real good news. And I pray that we as a people would not only hear it and embrace it ourselves, but we would break down every barrier that keeps others from hearing it. And that we indeed would be your beloved sons and daughters because we know that and we value that. We are your beloved sons and daughters. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name.